Our second reading this morning is from Romans chapter 8. I will read verses 29 through 31. For those who hear the word of God. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So last week we talked about the amazing promise that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. All things. The good things, of course, work together for good, no surprise there, when God blesses us with health and income and family, that's all for our good. That makes sense. But the neutral things also work for our good. The ho-hum things. The fact that I was born with brown eyes rather than blue. The fact that I have three siblings rather than two. Those seemingly inconsequential things are also knit together by God for our greater good. But the most extraordinary fact of all is that God also uses bad things, evil things, awful things for our good, which is remarkable. Like Jacob said to his murderous brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. If you are a Christian... My hope is that this fact is a comfort to you. That no matter what comes up against you, God will turn it for your good. And as Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, we should never ask God for bad things to happen to us. That would be crazy. In the Lord's Prayer... Jesus instructs his followers to pray, lead us not into temptation. That translation made sense at the time the King James Bible was translated 350 years ago. But a more modern translation is clearer to us today. Save us from the time of trial. We should always ask God that things would go well with us. That we wouldn't have to face trials and difficulties. But when things don't go well, guess what? They still go well. Even when things are bad, if you love God and have been called according to His purpose, God works that bad thing for your good. I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. Some years ago I was talking with... uh, a family friend, a woman who was uh, in our small group Bible study in Pittsburgh, and she said something to the effect that, I know that God works through adversity to grow us as Christians, and I want to grow, but 
I've not really had any trials or adversity in my life. And that sounds well and good until you hear the punchline. This woman had been born with only one leg. This woman's husband had epilepsy and couldn't drive a car. She really thought that she was living the charmed life, free of adversity. It never occurred to her that she had suffered. And all I can think is that God had already turned her bad to good for her in a way that maybe some of us could learn from. If you knew this woman, if you knew her steady Christian character, you would immediately perceive how God had used her very difficult life to make her the remarkable person that she is. What an amazing thing it is to be a Christian, to be adopted into the family of God, to have Jesus as our brother. But we need to be careful to not misunderstand What scripture is saying when it speaks this promise that all will be well with us, no matter what. When God says that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, he doesn't mean that if you suffer a little bit, you're going to win the lottery. God had a very specific good in mind When he made that promise. And that's what I want to talk about today. When God says that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Just exactly what kind of good did God have in mind? The answer comes in Romans 8.29. The verse following that great promise itself. There we read, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So what is the good that God has promised in that verse? It's right in the middle of the verse. To be conformed to the image of his son. I went to back to school night at Valley Christian School this past week, and Heidi Weldon, the middle school team leader, talked about how a biblical worldview informs everything that they teach at Valley Christian School, mathematics, language arts, social studies, the natural sciences. And the biblical worldview, in its essence, comes down to a story with four chapters. Creation... Fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The fact that we live in a created world rather than an uncreated world makes a world of difference. It gives our world purpose, direction, and meaning. If the world were uncreated, if it simply always has been here, forget for a moment how incomprehensible that would be, then the world would be without any direction, purpose, or meaning. It would just be here, a bunch of atoms hanging around, doing the stuff that atoms do. And really important ideas like 
truth and goodness and justice and beauty would be no more than human and social constructs. They would have no reference to something or to someone greater than ourselves. And no person would be justified, from a logical point of view, in suggesting that his ideas are any more valid than anyone else's. There are, of course, people who embrace this kind of post-truth world, but they are not Christians and they are not followers of Jesus because Jesus believed that the world was created. After creation comes the fall, which accounts for why things are not the way they should be. And isn't it interesting that we know the way things should be, even if we've never seen that. We know the way things should be, at least in part, hazily, through a fog, because God, in creating us, wrote eternity and eternal truths into our hearts. Humans have a deep sense about right and wrong. Even as the culture around us makes a deafening din denying that such absolutes exist. God's revelation through his prophets has over time shown more and more clearly God's truth and God's intention for the world. And then wonder of wonders, we have God's full and final revelation of himself in Jesus Christ. Here's what we read in the first chapter of Hebrews In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Which brings us to the third point in the biblical worldview, redemption. Jesus Christ provides purification for sin, which is glorious because sin, which led to the fall and to the frustration of creation, is atoned for. And the curse, which followed the fall, begins to be pushed back. And the way that we sing in that glorious Christian Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. That's redemption. And it begins in the hearts of individuals who receive Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God, as the sacrificial Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world by his own atoning death on the cross. When we welcome Christ into our lives through faith, The spell of sin and death are broken and the curse which pains the creation becomes for us the pains of childbirth, pains that lead to life rather than to death. Every difficulty in this life has its roots in the curse following the fall. But for those who are in Christ, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, each and every one of those stings of the curse becomes for us something that God uses for our good. And the final chapter in the biblical worldview is restoration. 
God has promised a new heaven and a new earth in which the redeemed live the way God had always intended. Without sin, without the curse. That's what our hearts long for and the new Jerusalem is our final destination. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. As I was writing this part of the sermon on Friday night on my back porch, I had gone so far down this rabbit trail about what I had heard from Heidi Weldon at the VCS back to school night that I had to remind myself of the reason uh, that I had headed down this path. After all, this sermon is supposed to be about the good that God promises to make out of the evils and the troubles of this life. It's not supposed to be about the biblical worldview. But here's the connection. God's promise that we will be conformed to the image of His Son is our redemption and our restoration. Sin and the fall are met with Redemption and restoration. Sin is washed away in the atoning sacrifice of Christ. When in faith the blood of Christ is applied to us individually, we stand justified before God. We're no longer rebels. We're no longer outcasts. Our former status is restored. We again commune with God as our Father. And the process of lifelong sanctification begins. Little by little. Day by day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are made to look more and more like Christ, pushing back the consequences of the fall in our lives and in our character. That process is not going to be completed in this life. But it will be completed when we see Jesus face to face. And at that moment, we will be fully restored to our created grandeur and glory. And so will all of creation. Because all of creation will be restored. Restored to its original beauty, balance, and sanity. It will be a new heaven and a new earth. And all of the redeemed of the Lord will spend all of eternity together in that restored creation. Free of sin, free of the curse. The good that God promises... To those who love him and are called according to his purpose is that they will be conformed to the image of the Son of God. Sin and the fall deform us. Redemption and restoration conform us to Christ. Which is nothing less than how God intended it to be. Way back in the beginning, we his special creation, we the ones into whom he breathed the breath of life, we the ones who have been made in his image. For Christians, that means that every trouble that ever comes your way, God uses to help you look more like Jesus. For Christians, that means that every evil that you have to endure, In this fallen world, God uses to help you look more like Jesus. For Christians, that means that everything that you will ever suffer, God uses to help you look more like Jesus. That's the good that's promised to us that we will look like Christ, that we will be conformed to his image, to use Paul's word. And what more could we ask for than to look like the Son of God? That's the goal. That's God's 
plan for us. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He didn't just predestine us to be conformed to the image of his Son. He also predestined us to be adopted as brothers and sisters of Jesus. Elder Ruth Marcucci, who went home to be with the Lord this past Monday, had eight children. And she had three of those children while she was in medical school. Now, I had two kids while I was working on my Ph.D., and I always used that as my excuse for not finishing. Clearly, Ruth was a whole lot tougher than I am. This past week, I met with a number of Ruth's children, Jeannie and Ruthie and Chrissy and Addie, and they were telling stories about being late to church. Apparently, getting eight kids out the door on a Sunday morning is no easy thing. And they would slip in the back door, the door that is down those steps. Apparently, you could come into the church through that door. And then they would sit over in that transept there, all ten of them, I guess, father and mother and eight kids, ten Marcucci's all lined up. There should be a brass plaque, actually, over there on that section the Marcucci section. And they remembered that the tailors always sat over on this side, Bill and Peg and all of their handsome boys over on that side of the church. Ruth Marcucci, eight children, a wonderful legacy and how sweet it is to grow up with so many siblings. Mia is still hoping for a little sister. But think about all of the brothers and sisters that Jesus has. Millions and millions of us. And all of us predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus and to be adopted into that family. That's our birthright. That's our birthright as born-again Christians. That's the good that God has promised to bring out of every evil that we will ever face. So, if the good that God intends for us is that we will be conformed to the image of his son, maybe we should think a little bit about what that image looks like. I think the best character portrait of Jesus we find in Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit. Certainly no human ever was more filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit than Jesus. And so we are filled with the Spirit and begin to produce the fruit of the Spirit as we look more and more like Christ. Paul writes, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I know that every person in this room would love it if the world were more filled with that kind of fruit. I know that every person in this world would love it if the people that they had to deal with each day were more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more forbearing, more kind, more good, more faithful, more gentle, and more self-controlled. How sweet that would be. But our job as Christians is not to confess the 
shortcomings of other people, our job as Christians, rather, is to take a hard look at ourselves and to say, how am I doing? When I look at myself honestly in the mirror and then I look over at Christ, how do I measure up? How much do I conform to his image? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I know I'm striking out. And so here's my prayer. Father in heaven, in your mercy, conform me to the image of your Son. Give me the fruit of the Spirit. That's who you made me to be. That's who I want to be. And God, send me whatever trial it takes to make that kind of fruit grow in my life. And give me the humility to receive those trials no matter how hard they are as gifts from you, as you change me, as you refine me, as you prune me, as you shape me into the person that you destined me to be, as you piece by piece conform me to the image of your Son, my brother, my Savior. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for you. And now, hear this wonderful news. If you are in Christ... If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then God will work all things for your good. This great and ultimate good. That you will look more and more like Jesus with each passing day until that day when you see him face to face in glory. And are finally and fully conformed to his perfect holy image. All praise and glory and thanksgiving and honor be to our God and maker and our Redeemer, and our Restorer. Amen. 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 Let us pray. Almighty God, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And yet we bear in our bodies, and in our spirits, and in our wills, the marks of sin and the fall. We have been deformed. But Lord Jesus, we recognize that your death on the cross pays the price of our sin and that by faith in you, we are over time conformed to your perfect image. Lord Jesus, draw us ever closer to yourself. Make us look more and more like you with each passing day and prepare us to be with you eternally in glory. These things we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.